Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. Listen, okay, so because we, this is a full house, because we're, we're, we're uh, filling up, we're excited about what God is doing. Listen, if this is your, the, the new, uh, if this is your first time here and you kind of haven't really been in this sermon series, then um, we are talking about what the responsibility is when we fill up. So real quick, real quick, they're going to turn on some music. Turn around one more time. Greet someone. Tell them that you're glad you're here. Come on, come on, come on. Turn it up. Glad you're here. Come on. All right, all right. Good, good, good. All right. All right. So here's the thing. Um, God is moving in our church, and we're super excited about it. And uh, here's what happens when a church begins to get full. People think, I'm not needed. And they begin to show up to the show rather than produce the calling of God in their life. And that is not our heart. That's not our mantle. That's not what God is doing here. And so uh, we have our friend, uh, Pastor Dan Stoffer. Uh, Stoffer? Is it Stafford or Stoffer? It's Stoffer. Stoffer. You did great. I did good. I did you good. You did great. I'm did really good. proud of you. I did good. And so we have known uh, Pastor Dan for probably four years. We've been involved in uh, a relational network for pastors seven years uh, that was started by Pastor Matt and Pastor Sarah. And I just uh, want to say, like, um, their leadership in Katie and I's life has been huge. Has been huge. So let me give you context. We started our church in 2016. We launched uh, on Valentine's Day, and on that launch, we had 315 people. It was so exciting. It was great. And six months later, we had 30. And so uh, I realized I don't know how to do this. And so I needed some coaching. Come on. Um, And let me just drop this out for you. I feel like everybody needs coaching. Like, I don't know anybody who's a success in an area or is growing in an area that isn't doing coaching. And so if, if Tiger still needs a coach, come on, you hear what I'm saying? If uh, Steph Curry still needs a coach, then your marriage may be better if you get a coach. That's all I'm saying. Your parenting may be a little bit better if you get a, come on, say it. Coach. And so uh, we, that's what we did. And so we began to uh, run with um, the relational network and let Pastor Matt and Sarah and their team begin to help us, give us language. We wanted a healthy and high-impact church. And so uh, we, Pastor Dan was actually supposed to come last year, but they had a hurricane. <laughs> uh, excuses. And so uh, uh, anyway, uh, we are uh, so glad he uh, helped us with our team uh, yesterday and begin to pour some great things in. So you are in for a treat. Come on, y'all give a house. Wel- welcome to Pastor Dan Stoffer. Appreciate you. Love you. All right, come on, you got to do better than that. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, baby. Wow. Your pastor's not messing around, everybody. He is not messing around. I'm so grateful for them. And hey, just so you know, I, as he said, I've I had the privilege of working with pastors all around the world and uh, just serving 
our network. We have 145 churches in the United States, in Canada, in Europe, in Puerto Rico, and I have the privilege of being around them. Uh, and I just want you to know that your pastors are the real deal. They love you. They pray for you. They fast for you. They, they endure hard things for you. Um, they want God's best for you, and they serve you really, really well. And I'd love if we could just do our best to honor them, thank God for them. Can you put your hands together? Come on, let's celebrate. We thank you, God. Thank God for good leaders and good pastors, and uh, just really grateful to be here. I'm here on behalf of my pastors, Pastor Matt and Sarah Keller of Next Level Church in Fort Myers, Florida. I have a picture of them just so you can know who they are. Uh, they send their love. They love you so much. They, their heart is for you. Um, it was 21 and a half years ago that they were sitting on the edge of their bed in their small 800-square-foot apartment on the wrong side of town. They had just moved from small-town Indiana, from the only home they ever knew, to Fort Myers, Florida to plant a church, and uh, where you said you ended up at 30. That's where they started. Started at 35 people on their first Sunday, went down to about 18 and felt very much alone, uh, felt clueless of how to lead a church, felt hopeless. And they're sitting on the edge of their bed with real tears just running down their face, crying out to God, praying, God, if you let us live through this, and it was a big if, but if you let us live through this, We'll do whatever we can to make sure that no lead couple ever has to feel the way that we feel right now. And that was the birth of the relational network. And when I heard that story, my wife and I and our family, we planted a church in New Jersey in 2008. And uh, we had a really rough start as well. And I remember hearing that story from them for the first time. And it resonated so much in me. And it helped me so much. They be quickly became our pastor, started pouring into us. And uh, eight years into our church, leading our church, um, God started speaking to our heart that we weren't to lead our church forward, that he actually had something different for us. And that uh, our church be then was adopted by another church in New Jersey, became one of their campuses. And we moved to Fort Myers, Florida uh, to come on staff and to be a part of Next Level Church. Church, and then now to help lead our relational network. I'm also here on behalf of my family. I've got a picture of them, and uh, I've got my beautiful wife, Stephanie. We've been married for over 28 years on the far right. She is the love of my life. She would tell you it's been the best 25 years of her life uh, of those 28 years. <laughs> She's right. She's right. Um, thank God for his goodness and his mercy. We're still in there. We're still fighting. And uh, our, our uh, oldest daughter, Eden, 25 years old, just graduated from Liberty University with her master's degree in clinical counseling. And, uh, and I, I keep asking her to help me. And she says, I can't. She's not allowed to ethically. She's like, Dad, ethically, I'm not allowed to help you. I'm like, I need help. And I need it to be free, like free help, people. <laughs> She won't help me. Um, our daughter, Emma, who just got married to our new son, Andrew, and uh, we love them. They're both on staff at the church, um, involved with worship. Emma is uh, one of the assistants for one of our executive leadership team members. And then my son, Grant, 17, and senior in high school, and, uh, and uh, just so grateful for them. They love God. They love the church, and uh, life is really good. It's a really good season to be in the Stauffer household and to be in the Stauffer family. It's not always been like that. And, uh, but I'm just really grateful for what God has done, how he's redeemed areas of my life, um, how he's worked in my story, and how he has just turned some things around for us. And I'm just super grateful for that. And I actually believe that God wants to do the same for you today. I really do. 
I, I, I believe that if, if, as you're looking at a picture and looking at a family and like, man, I wish, you know, things were great as you're talking, like we, we all see a picture, we see a post, we see, you know, someone's story, someone's real, we see someone's social media and we, we just want our life to be like that. Well, what you don't know, you see a picture like that, you have no idea what, what it took to get there and, and the heart and what, what God had to do and the miracle he had to do. And so today, actually, we're, we're in a series called Full House. I think I'm, am I the final one? Like I'm the finale? I'm the grand finale everybody. Like, let's go. Uh, we're in a series called Full House. Today I want to talk about full of responsibility. We've talked about how to have be full of life. We've talked about how to be full of connection. We've talked about a full house is one that's full of forgiveness. But if we're going to be a full house, we also have to be a house that's full of responsibility. Um, we have to be full of what God wants to do and full of responsibility. So I want to pick up an actual story in Mark chapter 2. And uh, Mark chapter 2, we'll look at just several verses in this passage of Scripture that I think we're going to be able to pull out from this passage of Scripture a few thoughts on what it means to be full of responsibility. So Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it starts off here and it says a few days later. And it says a few days later because a few days prior, Jesus was in the same town. He was in Capernaum and he healed a person with leprosy. And, uh, and when that happened, the word started spreading like crazy and crowds started surrounding Jesus. He actually had to leave Capernaum because there was so many people, he wasn't even able to do what he was supposed to do. So he leaves that, the, uh, Capernaum, he starts going around the rest of the Sea of Galilee to all of the different towns around Galilee. And he starts doing all, working miracles and healing people and doing some amazing things. And then he returns back to Capernaum after doing all of that. And that's where we pick up this story. So a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home, and he had actually come home. This is where he lived. He lived in Capernaum at the Apostle Peter's house. It's where Jesus had healed the Apostle Peter's mother-in-law. And Peter was like, if you're going to do that, then you have to stay here. <laughs> like, you got to help me now. If you heal my mother-in-law, you got to help me. That was a little joke. Fell a little flat. You stay with me. I, it gets better, everybody. It really does. I was actually in Israel this, this summer and had an opportunity to actually be in Capernaum to be at this place that is actually known. They're able to prove that this was the Apostle Peter's house, completely excavated. You can see the walls, and then they built a Catholic church over top of it. So people are still worshiping this place, this very place where this story happened in Capernaum. Now, verse 2, it says, So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside. Now, let me help you. For those of you that are, that are new to Bible study, or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but you've, you've never really approached Bible study this way, I find it very helpful to try to picture myself in the story. Because so many times we just read so quickly past something, or, or, and, and we don't quite understand what's going on. Picture yourself in the story. You'll get so much more out of it. So imagine what it would be like on a Sunday morning, maybe in an environment like this. Now, this room is, is, is bigger than Peter's house, but just imagine so many people in this house, so many people in this room, they're sitting all along the floor. There's not enough chairs for them. We can't pull enough chairs out of a closet. There's, there's ch ch people sitting all over the platform. The doors are open. The foyer's full. So many people. And outside. And if it was an environment like this, people are just trying to get close enough. They know they can't see what's happening, but they're just trying to get close enough to be able to hear what Jesus is saying. And they've surrounded this place, so many people, that there's not even any room left inside or outside. And then Jesus is preaching the word to them. And then some men come, or came bringing to him a paralytic that was carried by four of them. 
Now, there was more than just four. If you look at some of the other passages, there was a bunch of, a bunch of guys that found this paralyzed person. Four of them grabbed a corner of his mat and brought him to Jesus. So here it is. What does it mean to be full of responsibility? The first thing, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, even if you're like, every time I take notes, I never read it again, it doesn't matter. It's scientifically proven that you will retain more if you're actually taking notes when it's happening. So just take notes, just take notes, just take notes. All right, what does it mean to be full of responsibility? Number one, it means that we do the heavy lifting. We do the heavy lifting. These, this group of guys, we, we, we don't know if they knew the person that was paralyzed. We don't know if, there was, if the paralyzed person was calling out to them, if he was related to any of them. Is it possible that even one of the guys in the, in, that was grabbing a corner was the one that had just previously, just a few days earlier, had been healed of leprosy and their life was so changed that they decided, you know what, I know if Jesus changed me, he can change somebody else and I'm going to do a little bit of work to help them to get to Jesus. All I know is this. That if you and I are going to be full of responsibility, that it is irresponsible as someone that is a follower of Jesus, whose life has been changed by him, to walk past someone that is paralyzed. It is irresponsible for us to just walk. And my life's been so dramatically changed by Jesus. If I walk by someone that's paralyzed, I'm irresponsible. And you might be saying, you know, maybe the same as me, I don't know a whole lot of people that are paralyzed. Or maybe it's like, I don't think I know anybody that's paralyzed. Or I don't really walk by anybody that's paralyzed. Let me, let me help you. You do. Every single day. You actually may be one. Because there can be paralysis in our homes. There can be paralysis in our marriages, in our finances. We could be paralyzed emotionally with depression and anxiety. We could be paralyzed in our, in our confidence. We could be paralyzed financially. The, the list goes on. We could spend our entire time listing out the areas of our life that could be paralyzed. And even if I didn't mention one, you know what it is, where there's just paralysis in your life. And without a touch of Jesus... You're going to remain that way. And all I'm saying is this, is as a follower of Jesus, if my life has been changed with whether there was a, an area of paralysis in my marriage, which there was for a season. My wife and I went to counseling together. I went by myself uh, once a week. She went by herself once a week. Then we went together. Like we needed some work. And let me tell you why. Because at very early on as a child, I experienced abuse. And I never received healing for it. And so I grew up in, in, in a home where, where there is just some denial, some like really not, you know, maybe even obliviousness to what was going on in, in my little life. And I experienced some very painful things from people that were supposed to love me. And it was horrible. And I grew up in a Christian home with parents that love God and love the church, but I still experienced this pain. And I had not received healing from it. And so I started doing some things that, tried to, that I was trying to numb the pain with. And through the years, that thing grew into a full-blown addiction that when it finally came out, it ravaged my marriage. It ravaged my life. It ravaged my relationships. And so we had to get help. And I thank God for some people in my world that had experienced some similar things but also experienced the healing of Jesus that made a decision, we're not just going to walk by you, brother. We're going to grab a corner of your marriage and we're going to do whatever it takes to get healing into your life and freedom into your life. So if we're going to be full of responsibility, then we have to do some heavy lifting. 
But the story doesn't end there. Look, it, it picks up verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, so these four guys, they're carrying this paralyzed person, they show up at church, and there's no way to even get him to Jesus. So they do something. They, op- they make an opening in the roof above Jesus. Now, just time out for a moment. Like, how? Like, that's so quick, Mark. Like, you're right, this, telling the story, carrying the paralyzed person, no room, so we get on the roof and we dig a hole. Like, how? How'd you get him up on the roof, Mark? Like, I want to know how they did that. Like, that's just crazy. But they get up there. They make an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Then verse 5 says this, when Jesus saw their faith think about that for a moment Jesus sustaining again imagine yourself in the story Jesus and I know it's going to take great imagination to imagine that I'm Jesus but just go with me for a minute all right Jesus is preaching all of a sudden the room's full he's preaching the word and something falls on his head and he kind of brushes it maybe he thinks it's just a big fly and he's just swatting away all of a sudden some more dust and debris starts falling Jesus backs up a big hole hole large enough to lower a grown man down in front of Jesus. That's how big this hole is. All this is happening. Peter picks up his phone and starts calling the insurance company. His roof's caving in. Paralyzed man down at the feet of Jesus. Again, picture it. You're in the room. You're watching this happen. And all of a sudden, Jesus says that he saw their faith. Probably not the faith, maybe some, but probably not the faith of the paralyzed person. Probably not even necessarily the faith of the people in the room. They're all in shock and awe. My imagination is when Jesus looked up, he saw the face of four men looking down over this hole. And he saw something in their expression that was described by Mark as faith. What does it look like? What does faith look like? Because Jesus saw their faith. There, there was something in their demeanor, something in their countenance, something in their expression that when Jesus looked up and saw them, he saw faith and it moved him to do something so powerful that it changed this man's life. And then he looks, he sees their faith and then he looks at the paralyzed man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. And at me, I'm thinking, Jesus, that's not why he came. That's not why he's on the ground right now. I mean, it's good to have your sins forgiven, but the man can't move. Like, that's why he's, he couldn't have walked in on his own. Like, he needed some help. But Jesus knew that he needed to start with his heart. He needed to start what was internal before he could do something external. What does it mean to be full of responsibility? Number two, it means that we have to have faith for others. Jesus saw their faith. So here's a question, church. When Jesus looks at you, observing a need in somebody else's life, does he see faith in your countenance? Does he see faith in your expression? Does he see faith in your action? Because faith acts. So Jesus saw their faith, again, not just an expression on their, their face, but they were walking down the street, And again, we don't know if it was a predetermined time that they told the paralyzed guy, hey, we'll be by tomorrow, we'll pick you up for church, we're going to get you there. We, We don't know how it all happened, if it was just right in the moment. All we know is that they grab a corner because they they made a decision that they're going to be responsible to do some heavy lifting, to do some work, grab a corner of somebody's life, get them to Jesus. But they show up and there's an obstacle. 
they had all of this excitement and all of this desire to get someone in need to Jesus, but when they started doing what they had in their heart to do, they were opposed. They, there was an obstacle. And, but here's where I think the faith came in, is that they weren't moved by the obstacle. They, they did everything that they could to push through what was preventing them from experiencing God's highest and best, and they did whatever they could to get up on the roof with a paralyzed person, dig through the roof, destroy somebody's house, and lower the the guy down because they knew if they could just get him to Jesus that's how Jesus saw their faith so how about us how about us when there's moments that God is asking us to do something and we're compelled like it it stirred us I, you know pastor Stephen was talking about giving maybe there's you've never really stepped out in faith to to tithe to give maybe you you tip at church like you would tip at a meal but God's stretching you and saying, listen, I want to do more in your life. And, and you're being drawn to it like, okay, I, I, I want to do this. Like faith starting stirring up on you. You're, you're hearing of what giving's about. And faith is like, okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to I'm test God. And this is actually the only place in all of Scripture where God asks you to test him. And Malachi says, prove me in this. Test me in this. If I'm not going to do something, if you'll step out in faith and obey, watch what I'll do. It's the only place in Scripture where God says, test me. And you decide to do it. It's like, okay, we're going to tithe. And you got the amount. And you're getting ready to bring it on Sunday morning. You're super excited to do it. And then all of a sudden, something happens with the car. And some, one of the kids, you know, their braces, and they, they threw out their retainer at school during lunch. They're like, oh! And it somehow happens to be the exact amount of what you were going to give in your tithe. What are you going to do? Are you going to push through the obstacle? What would have happened if that day when they showed up at the house and they couldn't get in, that either the paralyzed guy said, or the, the four guys carrying like, well, I guess if we just, you know, it's not going to happen today. Let's just get you back home. He never experienced, he would have never experienced what he's about to experience. And all I'm saying, church, is if we're going to be full of responsibility, then we're going to have to be, we're going to have to do the heavy lifting and we're going to have to be responsible enough to use our faith for somebody else, to have faith for others. Look at verse six. The story goes on. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, all of this is happening. Again, put yourself on the story. We've got someone that's paralyzed and they're lowered at Jesus' feet. He's preaching the word and there he is and he sees faith and he says to a paralyzed person trying to bring relief and deliverance and freedom and healing to somebody's life, but there's people in the room that are thinking to themselves, this is ridiculous. What are we doing? This is, this is stupid. You know, how, why, why are people on the why are they Why are they so happy? They should, you know, stop, stop moving around so much. Like, this music's too loud. Or it's not loud enough. We should do more hymns. I don't know, why aren't they doing hymns? They should do hymns. Pastor Stephen wears a sport coat when he preaches. Why isn't this guy wearing a sport coat? He's wearing sneakers. Why is he, why is he doing that? I'll tell you why he's doing that, because the black pants that I brought to wear with the jacket that I brought got something all over them. And I'm like, well, guess I'm wearing this today. So next week you'll get to see the preacher in a sport coat. You wait for that one. Fire up in this place. Here's what I know. If we're going to be a, a church that's f full of responsibility, we're, number three is we're going to have critics. And... Another way that maybe you could write this point down is that we need to be responsible to overcome the critics. 
So there's critics in two places of our lives. There's critics outside the church that when they find out either that you're a believer or you tell them what church that you go to and they go, oh, that church. You know, they've got that sort of response or people want to argue about how church should be or whether you should even be a, a follower of Jesus and they're arguing whether God even exists and, and you're just wasting your time. Church is a crutch. Why are, like they're arguing with you. And, and here's what I know. You will never win someone to Jesus when you win an argument, ever. Like if your goal is to win the argument, you'll never win the person. And, and we'll just, we'll never win in that setting. But there's people that are criticizing outside the church and our, our responsibility to them is just to love them. Just to, just to, you know, just to do our best, just to be kind and, and, and just love them and pray for them and bless them. That's what our responsibility is. But there can be critics outside the church, but there can also be critics within the church. And what I found with critics in the church is that we do far more sitting than we do carrying. Far more of just sitting there observing. And there are seasons, let me just say this, there are seasons where there is paralysis in your life and the best thing for you to do is to come in and receive. But it is impossible to receive when you're critical. It's impossible. So all I'm saying is, is get to a place where we can open up our hearts and allow God to do something in our life. Um, how many of you like to eat like I like to eat? Like I like to eat. One of the things I said was like, hey, one thing we're going to do is we're going to get some good food. And I've been getting some really good food. I've been eating really, really well. I'm going to have to go on a diet when I get back home. Stop eating the, the, all the sugar. I, I introduced your pastors to peanut butter pie, and their life has been changed. Like, I, I, that's on me. I helped that happen. I want you to know that. Like, you'll never be the same again. Peanut butter pie, yes, please. I'll take, take one of those. But I love to eat. But one of the things I discovered, too, is I actually enjoy cooking. And uh, this was years ago, 22 years ago, when our oldest daughter was three years old. Um, we're in uh, northwestern Pennsylvania. I'm on staff with a, ch uh, with a church. Um, we don't have enough money to get cable. So we went to Radio Shack and got the little rabbit ears things. Remember Radio Shack? Remember the rabbit ears? Where you, you pull out the foil, and it really worked. Like you grab some foil, you put it on the tip, and you start moving these things around until you get the signal. And we somehow locked into our public broadcasting service network. It was WQLN. And uh, on, this, on this channel, they had a, a show with an Italian chef. Her name was Lydia. And it was a, a Lydia's Italian home cooking. And she's making such amazing recipes as I'm watching the show. It's like, I'm going to get her cookbook. So I did. I ordered the cookbook and it shows up and I'm leaping through the cookbook and I decide, you know what? I'm going to make eggplant Parmesan. Yeah, come on. We just went Pentecostal in this house. Praise him, Jesus. Get up and start. Eggplant Parmesan. I'm going to make it. That was... <laughs> And so I open up the recipe, and like any great chef, within the one recipe, there are three different recipes. There's a recipe for how you make the eggplant, Parmesan, like the whole process, but to do that, you need a recipe for the sauce, and you need a recipe for the pasta. And I'm, as I'm looking, I'm like, I'm not making pasta. Like, I'm not starting with pasta. So I'm like, I'll use a store-bought pasta, and I'm, and I'm, but I'm going to try to make the sauce. So I get all of the ingredients, the list of it. I go to the store. I buy the, you know, the perfectly sized eggplants that she says to get. I get the celery and the, the carrots and the onion for the sauce and and she gave me an out because in the recipe for the sauce she says you need to mill tomatoes and I'm like how do you mill tomatoes I've heard of like a lumber mill but never a tomato mill so I, I'm like but she gave me an out with a can so I'm like all right I'm gonna do the can thing so I get the tomatoes and I uh, got the eggplant you need fresh basil you need uh, fresh mozzarella come on turn to somebody and say mozzarella put your Italian in it I had to get fresh mozzarella not the craft you know you know 
stuff, shredded stuff in the bag, like fresh mozzarella cheese. And then you had to get a, a block of Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese. Did he just speak in tongues? No, he did not. It's a type of cheese, I promise. So you get all the ingredients, you get back to the house, and I start making it, and there's a certain way that you cut the eggplant and what you have to do, the flour and the egg wash and the breadcrumbs, and, and you're, you're doing that, but you've got to get the eggplant to sweat, so you put the special salt on it and draw the moisture out of the eggplant. And, and while that's happening, you're making your sauce, and you're, you're cutting up all your, your carrots and your onions and your celery, and you got that simmering with your tomatoes and all of the things that are happening there. And then while that's happening, your eggplant, you rinse it off and you start, you start frying it to this crispy golden brown. It's just absolutely amazing. You get a crunch when you bite into it. And it's just delicious. So the eggplant's perfectly fried. Your sauce is done. You grab your nine by 13 inch Pyrex, the glass dish, looking around, you guys all know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, you've had a casserole or two. I can tell. I don't like this guy at all. I know. So you pull the, the, you get your sauce. So you start out laying a little bit of sauce down on the bottom of this, of this casserole dish. You take some of your Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese and you start grating it fresh over top of the sauce. Then you take your freshly fried eggplant and you kind of press it down into the sauce a little bit. Then you find your fresh basil and you start kind of breaking the leaves a little bit so the aroma of the basil comes up and it's just so amazing. You kind of start sprinkling some of that down on top of it. And then you take some of your, your, uh, your, your fresh mozzarella. You start breaking that apart and you kind of put that on top of that and then you ladle just a little bit more sauce on top of that you start grating a little bit more of that parmigiano reggiano cheese on top of that and then you take some more eggplant you kind of press that eggplant down on top of that a little for that fresh basil just tore apart and some more of that sauce you just kind of layer just a little drops here and there you don't want to not too much sauce because you still want the eggplant to be crispy. So you put the sauce down and more grated Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese on top of that. Then you start pressing some more of that fresh mozzarella down into it. Layer another thing of the fresh fried eggplant down on top of that. Some more sauce, some fresh basil, some Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese. Like, come on, everybody. It's absolutely amazing. And you put your last bit of the, of the fresh pulled apart mozzarella on there. And it's like, well, there's a little bit left over. What do you do with it? You put the rest of it on or you can eat it. I'm going to eat it. It's just whether I'm going to eat it now or eat it then, but we're going to eat it. You stick this in the oven, and it just gets this beautiful, just golden brown, just a little bit of just lightly brown, the cheese just melting all over the place. You pull that out of the oven. You pull your store-bought pasta out of the water, and you have an amazing meal. And every time we make it, and I've made it a ton, you can tell because I memorized the recipe, like it, every time you ma- I make it, Someone in my family has a, a critique, something to lift it, to elevate it. My wife, the reason that I do a little less sauce is she likes the crispy eggplant. She, doesn't, she wants that crisp in there. And my son likes a little, a little more spice, so we'll put a little bit of, of, of fresh crushed red pepper in, into the sauce a little bit. Kind of spice it up a little bit. Every time we make it a little bit better. Totally different than showing up at Olive Garden. They're not happy to see me. They're not even smiling. They sit me by the bathroom. Who wants to eat near the bathroom? I don't. I don't. Maybe you do. Maybe that's why they have tables there. I don't want to sit by the bathroom. And I order my meal, and they're like, hey, the breadsticks aren't ready. And I'm like, what? Like, Olive Garden, you got one job. Like, fresh, hot breadsticks when I roll into the place. Like, you know that's all I'm coming here for. And I'll order the eggplant parmesan, and it comes out, and it's lackluster, and it's like, eh, and I pull out my phone, and I take pictures, and I post it on Yelp, and I let them know how to improve their corporation. That's completely different than what happens at my house, isn't it? One is a critique to elevate and make it better. One is critical to pull it down. Why is that? Because it's very easy to criticize something that you have not helped to create. 
And if we're going to deal, if we're going to deal with criticism, if we are going to be responsible to overcome the critics, and that can be critics that we encounter, or it can be me. It can be a critical spirit in me where I found myself doing way more sitting than caring, where I'm not participating, where I'm more of a consumer than a contributor, and I find myself pulling things apart, it's most likely because I've not been a part of helping to create it. Because there's a different spirit in critiquing to lift than in criticizing to pull down. And we're gonna have to learn how to overcome the critics. Watch what Jesus does here in verse eight. They're thinking all of this in their heart, and it says immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? And I love how Jesus didn't ask which was harder. He said, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and take your mat and walk? Number, number four, what does it mean to be a church that's full of responsibility? It means that we always remember that the whole point is life change. Jesus like, don't get, don't get caught up in, in something harder or easier. Don't get caught up in what I'm saying to the paralyzed person. I just want you to know that the whole point is that their life would be changed. Jesus pushes through all of the criticism, and he says, your sins are forgiven. He also says, take up your mat and walk. He asks them, which is easier? See, the critics, the religious people thought that the whole point was to sit around and argue the theology, argue what was happening, argue what the strategy was for the deliverance. And Jesus said, that's not the point. The point is life change. Don't miss the point. The point of everything that we're doing here every single Sunday and throughout the week is so that men and women, boys and girls can walk into this place, can encounter the saving grace of Jesus Christ, can experience the freedom that comes from knowing that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, getting free from our past so we can live for him for our future. The whole point is that our lives would be changed. Not to argue things, not to get caught up in, in things, but to, just to know that it's all about life change. So whoever you are in the story, I like to imagine who I am in the story. Am I the paralyzed guy? There's been seasons in my life that I've been. There are actually areas of my life now that I'm, I'm growing in, but I know it's like it's not as healthy as it needs to be. I'm going to continue to improve and learn and grow. But it, are you the one that's being carried right now because there's paralysis in your life, in your marriage, in your home, and your emotions or your physical body? Or are you one that's been doing a lot of caring? You've been grabbing the corner of somebody's life. You've been doing some heavy lifting. And, 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 and you've been enjoying it. And you're full of purpose, but there could be maybe a little, a little weary, a little weary with the obstacles. You said yes. You got on team. You've been serving, but you're bumping up against some obstacles. And you need to know that the whole point of everything we're doing is that you're, you would be changed today, that you would experience life change. Or maybe you're one of the critics. And you've been, you know, folding arms and sitting a lot and just coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. And it's not because you're paralyzed. It's just because you've not pushed through whatever's holding you back from going through framework and finding your place on a team or in a group and being a contributor. Whatever it is, whoever you are in the story, you need to know that the point of everything that we're doing here is that you would actually be changed, that your life would be changed. Jesus goes on, verse 10. He looks at these religious people and he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then looks at the paralyzed person. He looks at the paralytic, and he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. What does it mean to be full of responsibility? It means that we go home different than the way we came. We are responsible 
as a follower of Jesus, we are responsible to go home different than the way that we came. So however you walked in here today, whatever it was like getting ready in your home, getting in your car, driving here, whatever that was like, whatever the dynamic was in the car, whatever you endured, how difficult or, or graceful that it was, whatever it was like, all of that work to get here. If you're a single mom today, all of that work that it was to get those kids ready, to get you know, a, a toddler ready or, or uh, you know, an elementary child ready or an infant ready. So you've got your, you know, your baby and you, you put, get them, everybody in the car, like all of that work, and then you get here and now you're trying to get out of the car and somebody spilled something on their clothes and you're wiping it off their clothes and, and the kids are fighting because one of them hit the other one and now the baby's crying and, and you're getting out of the car and you're just trying to get in, just trying to get in the doors. And you got the baby in the car carrier. Here, here's what I haven't figured out yet with the, the baby in the car carrier thing. All right, 10-pound baby, 10-pound car carrier, 100 pounds. How is that? Does anybody figure that out? Like the physics. Like I, I can't figure it out. Like this doesn't, this doesn't add up. Like this, just quadru- this is crazy. But you've done all that work to get in. God wants you to, to leave here different than the way that you came. Those of you that are struggling with addiction in your life, like I had experienced, you go home different than you came. Those of you that have been grabbing the corner of somebody's life and you've been doing some heavy lifting, you need to know that God wants you to go home different today than the way that you came. The whole point is that we're not the same. Look what happens in the rest of the story here. Last verse, verse 12. So again, imagine this, we're in the story. We've seen this whole thing happen. Seen the paralyzed person, Jesus communicating, seeing the faith of the, the friends and speaking to them and he's dealing with the critics and says to the paralyzed person, I want you to get up. I want you to take your mat. And I want you to go home. And here's what happened. Mark records it. It says he got up. Now we can go past that really quick, everybody, but just slow down with me for a moment. He was paralyzed. He got up. There are some areas, I believe this by the spirit of the Lord for you right now. There are some of us in this room right now that we have given up on some areas of paralysis in our life. So to even imagine for a moment that God would move in your life in such a way that you could actually get up from it, you've given up on that. And I want you to know by the Spirit of God today that today's your day for that to change. Today's your day for that to change, that a spirit of faith would rise up on the inside of you. You would take a step toward Jesus today, whether that's even asking for prayer, letting somebody in on your story, or just even opening up your heart. Jesus wants to move into you today so that you can go home different than the way that you came. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. The significance of that is this, for someone whose marriage was, I wasn't sure we were gonna make it. I had actually already thought of like, what would, what would it be like if this doesn't make it? Like I didn't show, I mean, I, I planted a church, I'm a, I'm a pastor for 20 some years and I wasn't sure my marriage was gonna make it that when my marriage was restored, that mat that was carrying the broken marriage was the very thing that people needed to see me carry. So many times the errors of our life, they, they can be a trigger, they can, I just don't even wanna think about it and think about it anymore, think about it anymore. People need you to see an area that had been carrying you that you're now carrying an area of your life that people had to grab a corner of to carry, people now need to see you carrying it. 
because they need to see, my gosh, you had to, you had to go through that, but you're walking now, you're whole, but you were used to, that was the very thing that you laid on right. Right, I'm carrying it now. And maybe I'm carrying it for the sole purpose of going to find someone that's paralyzed to put them on it so I can now carry them to Jesus. It's the very reason he told him to get up and carry his mat. But he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this before. I've never seen anything like this before. When was the last time somebody observed your life so radically broken and destroyed, then so radically healed and delivered, and they said, I've never seen anything like that before? When is someone, the last time someone's looked at your life and said, I've, I've just never seen God do something like that before? This is what God wants to do. Here's, here's the bonus. The result of that, the result of us being full of responsibility to do the heavy lifting, to have faith for others, to overcome the critics, to, to, to recognize the whole point is life change, and to know that I'm supposed to go home different than the way that I can, the way that I came. The whole point of it is that others around us will see our changed life, and they'll be drawn to Jesus. They'll be drawn to Jesus. That's the whole point of everything that we're doing, is that they would see our life change and be drawn to Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.